Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today, we have DeAndre Baker with us, uh, Dr. DeAndre Baker, and we'll be talking about restructuring our education system to close America's leadership gap and wealth disparity. But before we get into that, DeAndre, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Leonard, for having me. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, my name is DeAndre Baker, as you said. Uh, I'm a doctoral candidate with the University of the District of Columbia uh, in urban government and political leadership. Um, and right now, I'm just really passionate about wealth equity, uh, business innovation, and, of course, leadership. Awesome. So what got you into that? Um, so it's a, it's a long road, uh, but, but the long and short of it is, um, you know, life experience, Um Growing up in Washington, D.C., I'm a native Washingtonian. Um, everywhere I look around me, um, people are affected by wealth disparity. Um, and, and I think my experience has taught me that uh, our education system kind of prioritizes uh, college acceptance over practical employment solutions to close this leadership skills gap that we have in America right now. Um, so I figured, you know, rather than sit around and complain about it, I'd, I'd get up and do something about it and... Um, uh, a nice quote to, to, to capsulate it all would, would be, um, you know, those of us who are crazy enough to think that we can change the world usually end up doing so. So I figured I'd follow that. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. And I do agree with you with uh, college being a major factor in this uh, wealth disparity gap. What, what's your opinion about everything that's been going on? Um, so just in a, in a quick glance at um, recent metrics, uh, I would say, um, over 70%, and, and maybe the percent is growing, of college graduates um, are low-income students. Um, and, and, of course, with four years of education, and sometimes if you're going for your master's, it's longer, or in my case, a doctoral, uh, doctorate, it's, it's much longer. They're coming out with, you know, an enormous amount of debt um, if you're, you know, financing that primarily through student loans. Um, and, and then you're, you're left, you know, competing for jobs that don't even require um, a graduate degree or a bachelor degree. Um, and you're stuck in that cycle for quite some time, um, only to find yourself after, if you're lucky enough to pay it off, uh, getting into more debt to, to become a homeowner and to establish yourself in, in society. Um, so I think it's, it's a cycle that's worth reexamining and putting some actionable solutions to it. Yeah, it seems like a vicious cycle to get in debt and get in more debt and get in more debt. What, what, what you, it's been a system that's been going on for like a long time, though. Do you think there's something that should be done to like help fix everything? Because, um, I mean, the system worked for a while, but then now I feel it's kind of probably got out of hand a bit. What do you think? Um, I I would primarily agree with that assessment. Um, I would say back in 2010, um, the Obama administration, specifically the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans and also the White House Commission on Higher Education, um, published a report that estimated that approximately 21 million college graduates will be graduating by the end of 2010. Um, and that most of those individuals would be competing um, in, in, a, in a fickle job market at the time. Um, and it definitely came true. Again, I think those numbers are steadily rising. Um, of course, history shows that. As of right now, I want to say about 76% of students um, are low-income students today. Um, and with about 4 million Americans that have been out of work for about six months or more based on the pandemic, um, uh, and an uh, unemployment rate of about 6.1%, uh, I think it's an issue. It's, it's a large issue, and it, and it really bleeds into the wealth gap as well. Um, a great philosopher and a great researcher that I, I pride most of my research upon, Mr. Diedrich Asante Muhammad, uh, published a report as well 
that estimated that by the year 2043, um, minority groupings, which is, you know, African-Americans, indigenous people, Asians, um, those groupings of, of minorities will outnumber the white population by the year 2043. Um, and really? if the wealth divide yet is not resolved, uh, it, it will create an economic crisis that will be the greatest that our nation ever faced. Oh, wow. So in 30 years, we have a lot of trouble unless we do something now. Absolutely. Wow. Have uh, leading economists and, the, and other people been doing things to kind of prevent this from happening, this great crisis? Um, yes, I, I would say um, the Obama administration did a, did a lot of great things. Uh, as we see now that the Biden administration is gearing its uh, agenda towards resolving uh, the wealth disparity uh, issue we have in America, as well as a lot of private organizations um, to include uh, Prosperity Now, the Racial Wealth Divide Initiative, uh, the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, and also the, uh, the Greater uh, Community Foundation of Washington, D.C. Nice. How, how are those programs working so far? Um, so they're providing the, the much-needed metrics and research to, to kind of back up their claims, um, as well as putting practical solutions out there, like um, CAPS uh, incentives pro programs um, to help kind of close that gap, as we've seen, in, particularly in Washington, D.C., um, there's a large investment in affordable housing and affordable housing units. However, my firm belief would be that creating a larger budget, a larger budget, excuse me, for affordable housing does not always equal um, greater access. However, restructuring um, those uh, affordable housing programs uh, can result in, in more access. So I think that's what they need to, needs to be focused on. As opposed to just throwing money at the issue, we need to be more strategic about what we're doing with the money that we're already spending, right? Because more government um, is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. So I think we need to focus more on letting our communities lead themselves as opposed to having the government govern them. So how do you think the community should go about doing that? Um, so I think it, it starts with creating, again, uh, back to my original point of restructuring our education system, um, I think the community needs uh, to refocus its efforts on creating that pipeline to closing that leadership skills gap and, and, a, and a direct pipeline to employment solutions as opposed to um, college acceptance or college graduation. Um, if I could, I'll share a quick anecdote about my high school experience, uh, which was <laughs> maybe about 10 years ago. Um, so in 2010, I was graduating from Ellison School of the Arts. And I just remember uh, my high school counselors all, you know, running around and, and making sure that we all, you know, did you apply to one school? Did you at least, you know, apply to one school? And, and I don't think the focus was really on what the school or the institution was going to do for us or what we could do with it but more so just applying to increase the metrics of having a college acceptance rate for their institution. Um, and I mm. think that just kind of perpetuates the cycle in, in a sense. Um, you know, just going to college doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a good job or that you're yeah, going to be successful in life. Yeah, there is no guarantee, especially right now with the pandemic, with so many people out of work, uh, even makes it even more difficult to go out there and get a job, especially after graduating college. Yeah, it, it, it can. It makes it extremely difficult. Yeah. It seems that, like, in today's society, there's a lot of low-wage low jobs that are available, but not a lot of jobs that actually pay a decent amount of salary. Uh, that is a factor in, in, in a lot of the research that I found as well. However, there are jobs um, that are out there that pay a, a decent wage or, in my sense, a livable wage that don't require a, a high school diploma or GED equivalent. And I think it should be on institutions to identify what those, those opportunities are and creating the skill set within the secondary education level to connect those students to those opportunities. Let, let's prioritize business innovation, let's prioritize, um, you know, competition, gamification 
which is the study of using you know, games to create skills that are needed for these positions, um, is the future of, of, of education in a sense. Um, and I think we, we have a lot of tools to, to our um, uh, disposal, and we should use them. Yeah, for our listeners, what would the salary range be for uh, these types of jobs that you're talking about? Um, so here in Washington, D.C., I believe the median wage uh, for the poverty line would be about around 75000 a year. And I think some of the jobs that I'm mentioning in, in uh, this discussion uh, fall right in line with that. So oh, really? I'm sorry, you were breaking up. Oh, a $75,000 job without a college degree? Yes, that's, that's totally possible. Oh, that's pretty... Like said, uh, the Biden administration is, is doing a, a really good job of creating that pipeline um, with their large investment in, in, in infrastructure, um, and those infrastructure jobs uh, pretty, pretty, pay pretty well coming out of the gate. Interesting. So... Uh, how do you see all this working? Um, so, again, it, it just takes sitting down, you know, getting a seat at the table um, to have these types of discussions and to present um, our findings and, and the research to the powers that be uh, and, and, and laying out a plan of action. Um, again, just re restructuring some of the programs and the curriculum um, on our education levels would be a great first step. Um, Again, you know, not prioritizing simply college acceptance, but prioritizing it, creating those skills, you know, project management, strategic planning, skills of that nature um, in high school um, will be a great first step. Do you see yourself taking an active role in a lot of this uh, as you progress in your career? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, um that's part of my research uh, dissertation uh, with the University of the District of Columbia, uh, more so on the community investment side. Um, but to answer your question, yes, absolutely, I see myself being very active. And you say in the investment side, how do you, how do you see that working? Um, so creating community investment funds, right, um, is, is a great way. Um, so by doing that, you essentially, um, you, you, qualify for tax incentives. Um, it's basically gentrification, but flipped on its head. So history has defined gentrification as a privatized organization that comes into a low-income community and profits off of these tax credits um, and uses that to their advantage. Um, but nowhere written does it say that the community itself cannot create a community investment fund or community stakeholders are treated as shareholders um, of the investment fund. And, and kind of revitalizes their own communities, taking those tax credits, monetizing its future value, and getting with an equity fund to give you the cash upfront to complete the project, um, and you just pay them an interest on your tax credits. That's oh, basically how everyone else is doing it. Yeah. It seems like the government has tried doing these things uh, themselves, but internally with the government. What do you think are the major setbacks that the government faces when they try to initiate a program like this? Um, so I think, I don't think there is a setback. I just say we, as constituents, we don't have control over the programs that are um, created from those funds um, and, and who they benefit. Right? So if we privatize it within the community itself, we will have direct control over what we do with the profits of our investment fund, what businesses we attract to our communities. Will they benefit us? Are these businesses that we will frequent? Um, because consumerism drives the economy, right? But if you're, you have no control over the gentrification of your own community, um, you, know, you have no control over what businesses they will attract. Um, but putting that in the hands, that power in the hands of the community members themselves, it gives us all of the control. So you're thinking about more giving a sense of ownership to that particular community as opposed to making it just a government project? Absolutely. Again, like Donald Reagan says, uh, you know, more government is not the solution to our problems. More government is the problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's about time for us to hop off to a commercial break. Where can people find you online, DeAndre? 
Uh, right now, I am on, on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, I am I am DeAndre Baker. Um, and on Facebook, I am DeAndre Baker. Awesome. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here with uh, De- Dr. DeAndre Baker, and we've been talking a lot about the wealth disparity that's been going on in the world. And one of the things that DeAndre brought up earlier is um, housing and affordable housing. And I know in places like Los Angeles, where I live, like rents have pretty much skyrocketed over the last few years. And while COVID did bring down prices a tiny bit it didn't really change how things are kind of set up here at least um so when you talk about like housing and affordable housing what's been going on with that um well again i'm, I'm not familiar with what's going on in los angeles but i can speak to what's been going on here in washington dc um and in my experience as a college graduate uh, the prospect of me owning a home is few and far in between, especially with the growing um, interest of student loan debt. Um, we have an issue with um, the amount of units um, that are available for, for individuals, and then also the, the largest problem that we face, of course, is access, right? So it's yeah. only supposed to be for individuals who make up to a certain amount of money. But individuals who on paper before taxes make over that threshold but are still um, feeling the pressures of debt because of whatever, because of student loans, because of full credit, um, you don't qualify for those affordable units. So you're left, um, you know, living in, in a not-so-great community um, for at an affordable rate or you're paying market rate. Yeah. <clears throat> that seems to be a big problem that's been going on. What do you think should be done about that? Um, again, so I, I, I don't think throwing money at the issue is one of the goals. I think it, it should take a, a, a sit down and then look at restructuring the program to be more inclusive and create more access for those middle-earning Americans. The middle class is what drives this economy. 
Um, and we need to create more opportunities for, for those individuals who are paying the bulk of the taxes which fund these programs to benefit from them. So um, what would those conversations look like? Um, so, again, it, 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 it will take a... It should be a conversation from a community standpoint. Um, again, I'll go back to this point. Um, you know, more government is not the solution. Um, I think we've seen, especially from the beginning of COVID and the pandemic response, I'm not sure if you remember, but I remember that there was this standstill for a minute. No one knew what to do, and even when we did know what to do, no one knew where the action was going to come from because we were waiting for the top, Right. So if the responsibility and the onus was put on the community to lead itself, to fuel itself, to be itself, um, we would have had, I believe, a quicker response, right? Yeah. So I, so, I guess it's a, it's a, a trickle down, giving, putting the power back into the hands of the community itself. So when I think about, like, communities like this, like, when I think about, like, a landlord or a real estate developer, I, I see someone who wants to just kind of make as much money as possible from, <laughs> like, rents and everything. So, like, how, how I, I, I just have, like, difficulty seeing, like, how affordable housing works in the community when you have one person who owns, like, a, a ton and ton and ton of properties like them giving up and like, you know, putting the brakes on what they're doing and earning less so that the community could thrive, if that makes sense. Right. So again, that's, that's part of the, the issue. Gentrification is defined as a private organization or a private individual that has access to a lot of money um, to, to kind of buy up the property. However, if we reverse that, if we put the ownership back into the community members' homes, the community can own a piece of its own community, right? And then we yeah. can not only control the price points of, you know, units in our community, but because we're also profiting off of it and we're splitting that profit based on a shareholder breakdown, we can also afford the price points that we set. So it would be about, like, buying up the properties in the community from the developers and the real estate holders. Right. In, in, a, in a sense, yes. So basically a group of community members getting together and, and buying uh, shares of its own community. That's an interesting concept. I thought uh, so, too. Um, and, and like I said, um, a, a lot of this originated from research that has been uh, published by Deidre Asante Muhammad um, and Prosperity Now. And so when I was doing my thesis in grad school and I stumbled upon, you know, this, this model, I said, wow, this, this cannot be something that's brand new. Um, it's just too good to be true. So why not put it in practice? Let's, let's try. What's the so worst that can happen? I need to get a yes or a no, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it does sound a little bit too good to be true because... <laughs> I mean, from just thinking about, like, Los Angeles, for example, it's so expensive to live here. Everything costs, like, an arm and a leg. <laughs> uh, have, have you seen this work in practice, though? Um, so the only example uh, that I would use at this point that I have seen uh, would be in Tulsa. And, of course, because we're coming up on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre, um, I, I think it's it's very poignant for me to bring that up right now. You know, a black-owned community um, with black, full of black-owned businesses that was, you know, horribly burned to the ground um, based on a rumor, uh, no less. Um, so that's the only example I, I, I've seen. I'm sure there are plenty of co-ops um, in Ohio and... Um, in other places like Detroit, uh, New Orleans as well, that's a great place as well, um, that exist, that they're practicing. Um, but in terms of a free, you know, on its own um, idea of, the, of this model, um, none come to mind that exist. Yeah, I, I saw that massacre. Uh, I saw some tidbits of information about it yesterday, actually, for the very first time. Yeah. 
And it was kind of interesting to see how a community could grow up to be that big. And I mean, it's extremely tragic of what happened in that situation. Uh, do you have some information about that to kind of shed light for our community? I'm sorry, I missed the tail end of that. Oh, do you have some insight about like what happened to kind of give our listeners some insight on like what happened and how that community grew and what caused the massacre to happen and the historic lessons we should learn behind it? Um, I, I can speak to the historic lessons. Um, of course, everything is, is documented and recorded in history. And I encourage your listeners to, you know, to, to educate themselves on the massacre itself and, and, and the details surrounding it. Um, but, but I would say um, it is how, how it became um, as big and as, and as prosperous as it did um, was just this, this model manifesting itself. You know, a group of individuals um, taking ownership into their hands um, and, and creating and sharing what they create with their community members themselves. It is literally um, this same model uh, just brought to life. Um, and again, you know, the result uh, was, was, of course, tragic, um, and it's very regretful. Um, and again, I would implore your listeners to, to reach out and educate themselves. Um, with, with how society is moving today, do you think if these co-ops were to recreate themselves that they would face the same kind of issues that they did back then? Or do you think we're evolving as a country now to a point where uh, it would be a lot safer to build up these communities and so forth? Um, I well, I don't want to. I want to, you know, speak in in you know extremes and rule anything out. Of course, um, that type of fear and hatred does still exist today. We see it every day in the news. Um, but I, I would say administrations have gone a long way to, to close the gap and and you know reduce the redlining that we see um, in in the communities and and in the legislation of communities. Um, so I would say it's relatively safer. <laughs> to go ahead and give it a try. And, uh, and if it's not, I, I certainly will be one of the first to learn. Yeah. It's kind of crazy what our history went through in the older times. And uh, it's so heartbreaking, you know, to have those kind of experiences. And even now we see a lot of situations, uh, and it's just heartbreaking to kind of see those things just continue to happen. Absolutely. Not 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 only heartbreaking, but disheartening. Um, I think this pandemic has has taught us a lot, um, especially as it relates to the education system. I think, in my experience, um, being you know a part of the education system, um, I've seen where parents need additional support in supporting their own students, right? So I think the, the earnest of learning starts and ends in the home. But again, we also have to take responsibility as administrators and educators to kind of bridge that gap, um, the leadership skills gap I'm referring to, um, by just restructuring and reorganizing our programs and, and the curriculum to kind of create more employment solutions from a community standpoint. I think in my research, I found that um, when a community is, is prosperous and thriving, the schools perform better and, and vice versa. Yeah. When, when you talk about the skills gap, what are some of the skills that are, are, are learnable that need to be uh, bridged upon? So one one of the major or some of the major skills that I see, um, and it's, it's prevalent and, and evident in the in the type of events that we're seeing pop up nowadays, especially like mass school shootings and things of that nature. Um, it, it would be emotional intelligence skills, those soft skills, um, uh, conflict resolution skills, to name a few. Just on the emotional side. Of things, I think that's a course or a set of skills that's not particularly addressed, uh, especially in secondary education uh, situations or institutions. Um, but again, also with that, 
um, there's a need for strategic planning. You know, project management is is a very big um, skill set that has that has popped up recently and and trending um, in in all employment um, solutions. Um, You know, management in general um, is a great skill is a skill set of its own. Um, and, And I think there's an opportunity, especially in that senior year or that junior crossover year. Um, to kind of uh, ramp up our efforts on, on that end. Well, why do you think this has been missing from the education system so far? Um, again, um, because the way the education system is set up, um, schools, are, or especially public schools, receive funding based on performance and based on certain metrics, right? So if a, if a school gets a high test scores that increases their funding. If they have, you know, a high college acceptance rate or a high graduation rate, um, it, it, you know, results in in more funding. So I think that's why the priority has always been there. Um, But I, and I don't mean to say that we have bad teachers because we don't. We have great teachers throughout, you know, this entire country. I just think that the, the system itself needs to reprioritize what they incentivize. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you see some of these new systems being rolled out? Um, I haven't come across any new systems um, in my research, but I'm I'm sure that they do and and they are being practiced um, throughout this country. I think it it just needs to be nationalized. It's time that it's it's nationalized. Again, uh, 2043 is right around the corner. Um, and, and if we don't resolve this racial wealth gap, uh, it will be the largest economic issue our country's ever seen. Yeah, and that's pretty close. It's uh, less than it's about twenty years from now. So a lot I'm of I'm telling things, you, it'll fly right by you, Leonard. Twenty years will, will come before you know it. Yeah, it's well, be here. do do you think um, with the movement of things right now with the pandemic, it's kind of taken a lot of people so out of focus on what's been like really important because a lot of people have been like focusing on just surviving that we'll be able to make it within the 20 years because a lot of people have been pretty distracted nowadays just trying to figure out how to just survive, if that makes sense. No, 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 I totally hear you. It, it does make sense, but I, but I would say I'm, I'm fairly confident um, that through the work of great organizations and great individuals like um, Ronnie Galvin and, and Tanya Wellings over at the Community Foundation of the Greater Washington, D.C. area, um, Lillian Singh from Prosperity Now, and again, Deidre Asante Muhammad, they're, they're doing great work um, on resolving the racial wealth divide. Um, and, and, so, and there are a lot of other organizations who are also doing um, similar things as well. Um, so I'm fairly confident, you know, with the Biden administration, they're refocusing their efforts on closing the wealth gap uh, from the state level here. Uh, the mayor of Washington, D.C., she's doing an excellent job on, you know, creating a fair shot uh, for every American here in the Washington, D.C. area. So I'm confident that we will meet the challenge and countervail the racial wealth gap uh, prior to our deadline. Um, but it is still a concern that, that, that warrants uh, the attention. Yeah, and just how bad would it get if we didn't hit this, uh, if we didn't complete this mission? I'm sorry, you were breaking up there. Oh, just how bad would it be if we weren't able to, like, like you say, it's tragic, but like, what do you picture it being like in a real world scenario if this were to happen? Um, so again, um, it's kind of similar to what we're experiencing now, but just sometimes worse, right? So there, there, will, there will be a need um, to create uh, more programs, right? More programs that are funded uh, solely through government funding. Um, and, of course, with the more programs and the more funding, um, you know, that funding has to come from somewhere, and it comes from our taxes. Um, and, and so that will result in, of course, a tax increase. And again, because middle-income Americans uh, make up the bulk of that tax revenue, um, it's going to fall on us. Um, and and yeah. again, just if we're, if we're creating um, an economy where the majority of our taxpayers are low-income, um, 
what do you what do you think that's going to do? Yeah. Do you think it would be like the Great Depression in the 1930s, or do you think it would be worse than that? Um, far more worse. Far more worse? Yes. A lot, a lot worse than the Great Depression. And that's kind of scary. Right. <laughs> that's what makes the issue so serious, right? So, yeah. Um, again, like I said, I have full confidence in our current uh, administration um, as well as our local leaders um, that we're doing some great work. It's a long hill to climb, but I think we'll get there. Um, but it, it, it's not without, you know, private citizens like myself that take the initiative um, to try to help close the gap. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's about time for us to take another commercial break. Where can people find you online again? Uh, again, you can find me on Twitter at I am DeAndre Baker on Facebook, uh, DeAndre Baker. Okay, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The soul of enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with the replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey everyone, Larry Kim here with DeAndre Baker, and we've been talking a lot about what could potentially happen if uh, we don't get our uh, lives in order and really uh, help prevent this uh, Great Depression that could happen in 20 years. And what would happen if um, this gentrification issue doesn't get resolved? So, DeAndre and I wanted to share some tips on um, what uh, people could do to really go out there to help um, take action and plan out exactly what to do to make sure that this doesn't happen. Um, DeAndre, what would some of the best tips that you have to really go out there and take action be? Um, sure. I'd, I'd love to share some tips with your listeners. Um, the first thing I, I would say would be a great solution um, first and foremost, in my research, I've found that there's a, a need for to build uh, leadership capacity within the communities themselves. So creating those leadership developmental programs um, from a community standpoint, um, building up high-impact nonprofits, right? So the nonprofits are, are what drives our community and our community responsiveness, right? 
Um, another big, <laughs> a big one that has been a hot topic or a trending topic would be eliminating student debt, right? Eliminating the student loan debt uh, crisis that we, we face. Um, we can do that through a number of, of ways. Uh, one of those ways could be state-level estate and wealth taxation. Um, you know, we can just, you know, work on worse tax on fortunes. Um, and again, I always encourage, you know, your listeners to reach out to their local um, community leaders, um, their ANC commissioners, uh, their local governors, um, and, and create the, the need uh, for building um, community investment funds um, within their respective neighborhoods um, to create that, that, that model, right, um, that, pre, uh, that, that showcases community stakeholders as shareholders, do you have some resources that uh, people could go to to learn more about how these work and how to set them up and how to present them for uh, the stakeholders? Absolutely. Um, the Community Foundation, um, which can be found at thecommunityfoundation.org, um, it's a great uh, you know place to go for, for resources. They always uh, publish newsletters and, and great community investment tips. Uh, Prosperity Now is another great organization um, that was kind of uh, started uh, with uh, Deidre Asante Muhammad and his research in mind. Um, the National Community Reinvestment Coalition is a great uh, resource as well, which can be found um, at ncrc.org. Um, and Prosperity Now is just prosperitynow.org. Um, those are some great uh, organizations that just come to the forefront of my mind uh, where your listeners can find some really great tips on what it means and what community investment means and, and how we can implement that um, in awesome. this age. And if um, our listeners were looking for like-minded people to really uh, join in together with, to spread ideals with, would these same communities work with them or would you have other recommendations for them to reach out to? Absolutely. They'll be extremely helpful. They've been extremely helpful to me and myself um, whenever I've reached out for interviews to conduct research. Again, like I said, um, Deidre Basante Muhammad, um, he's a great proponent uh, for this type of work. Uh, Lillian Singh, of course, she's another one um, from Prosperity Now. Um, Ronnie Galvin, Tanya Wellens from the Community Foundation. They're all great resources to reach out to, and there are a plethora more. But these are just the individuals that I have experience, uh, experience with. Awesome. What, what other advice would you give to our listeners today? Um, I, I would say, you know, um, not that in, anybody is, hasn't woken up and, and is not paying attention, um, but if you are not, I would say take this as, as you know, the warning, the, the sound of the alarm to, to kind of wake up, pay attention, get out there and vote, make your voices heard. Um, request what you need um, and, and, and take a look around you. Um, a great advice I've, I've gotten when I was in high school um, is to not just open your mouth and speak, but to, to kind of listen and hear what's not being said and then speak on that. I think one of the hardest challenges is thinking about like our circle of friends and our family members and bringing up these conversations with them. Uh, how would you go about doing that, or how would you recommend our listeners go about starting those conversations? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple as it's opening your mouth. Um, again, you know, just take a look around you. What, what don't you see? What, what is there a need for? I think that's the, the greatest way uh, for creating a business or, or business innovation in itself. Um, it's just creating, the, you know, finding the need for a service. And once you find that, um, it's simply uphill from there. You, you just got to figure out how to package it and, and sell it. Sell the need, sell the service. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So our listeners received a lot of great tips on what they could do to really go out there and start making this movement. Um, would you be willing to work with the people as well if they wanted to kind of go out there and... Uh, make some changes? Absolutely. Um, so I'm currently in talks with the Raza Development Fund right now, um, and they're kind of mentoring me on how to set up my own community investment fund, uh, fund here in Washington, D.C. 
but I'm extremely open. Um, as I've said before, I'm currently a doctoral candidate for the University of the District of Columbia, um, where my focus is on urban government and political leadership and countervailing the racial wealth divide in urban communities through direct public offerings of community investment is my dissertation topic. Um, so I reach out all the time to conduct research, and I'm open to anyone who wants to have a conversation, who wants to give me tips, um, you know, who, who, who wants to, you know, just say, hey, this, this is something that I haven't heard you mention, and this could be a great um, addition to, to what you're, you're trying to do. Um, I, I welcome it all. All feedback is welcome. Awesome. Can you share more about what you've been doing? Absolutely. So, again, I'm, I'm just in the, the research phase right now, um, but simply starting a community investment fund um, within Washington, D.C. that features community stakeholders as shareholders is one of my main goals. Um, it will predominantly be managed um, by a nonprofit. Um, once I get the articles of incorporation together, um, everything else, uh, the mission has already been created. Um, but once I can do that, um, I will be unstoppable. <laughs> I'll say it like that. Um, <laughs> but as again, I, you know, I'm just working on my, my doctorate right now. Take all my ducks in a row so that when I make that strike, um, it, it'll be official. So what do you see the timeline of that being uh, looking like? Um, so I'm in my first year of my doctorate. So I, I guess I got, as, as my advisors say, three to six more years to go. <laughs> Um, but again, you know, um, we have that extremely tight timeline um, for 2043. So uh, I got to get the ball rolling sometime soon. Awesome. Um, are you looking for any uh, type of help while you go do this? Uh, are you looking for any individuals of any type to kind of help you uh, along the lines of this? Um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're kind of looking at whether or not we want to go the venture capitalist route or whether or not we just want to stick to primarily having community stakeholders be the main uh, shareholders of the investment fund. Um, again, um, you know, monetizing off the future value of our projects through a private equity firm um, is, of course, a viable solution. Um, but to finance a direct public offering, uh, we're not sure whether or not we want to you know, look on and take on venture capitalists um, in, in that aspect, or um, if we just want to keep it with, you know, the community. So you're uh, exploring opportunities with venture capitalists and private equity firms to see if there's a potential fit. Absolutely. That, that is uh, definitely on the table. Awesome. What else were you looking for? Um. Again, you know, any feedback, any any uh, community that, that says, hey, you know, we, we have a, a, a number of properties over here that we're looking at revitalizing, um, and we, we volunteer ourselves to be, you know, the, the guinea pig, um, that would be great. Um, any other um, administrative or project management support, um, any individual in the community that is looking for employment or looking for an internship, we are open, we're welcoming um, to anybody um, that... that, that uh, open to that opportunity. Awesome. So if someone had a housing project, they would reach out to you and you work with them on how to actually get this to potentially work as a community project? Absolutely. Again, um, you know, I've, I've kind of set myself up strategically. I have a license in project management. I have a master's in executive leadership. So I'm willing to just roll my sleeves up and just jump in anywhere I see fit. Awesome. And when you say that job lookers could reach out for you as well, what kind of roles would they be partaking in? Um, so right now, just community outreach um, roles that we have right now. Um, communications, marketing, of course, we'll, we'll always need that. I can't do it all by myself. Um, and currently right now, I'm just a, a two-person community and a mentor. Um, so I'm, I'm in the very early stages of, of setting up a, a nonprofit to manage the community investment fund. Um, so, I'm, I'm welcoming any additional hands. Many hands make work light, as they say. Yeah, that's true. So, I see a lot of uh, great success coming your way for your project, and I feel that as time goes by... I appreciate that, Leonard. Anytime. 
I feel that as time goes by, this could really make an impact in your local community, and hopefully it trickles down to a nationwide uh, solution for all of these problems that are about to come. Uh, what, what, oh, what, what do you think you, you would do once you see everything uh, kind of uh, folding into fruition? Um, well, first, I, I want to say thank you so much for the support, and I appreciate you saying those words. Um, and I definitely hope it will become a national, um, you know, mission. Um, but after it is um, in the fold and it, it does come to fruition, um, the only thing left for me would be to run for uh, the highest office of the United States to ensure that it is a national goal of ours. Oh, wow. So that's a goal of yours as well? Absolutely. Um, Mr. Uh, the Honorable uh, Barack Obama, uh, or President Barack Obama, um, has already beaten me to become the first African-American president. But uh, being in, in a close second, I feel like I would be in, in great company. <laughs> awesome. Well, it sounds like you have some big goals ahead of you, and it seems that a lot of these projects do need a lot of support. So if anyone listening is looking to go out there and support these projects, please reach out to DeAndre. And uh, where can people find you again, DeAndre? Once again, you can find me on Twitter uh, for the moment at DeAndre. I am DeAndre Baker. Um, you can also reach out to me on Facebook. Uh, DeAndre Baker is my name there. Awesome. So anyone who wants to get involved, please reach out to DeAndre and see what you can do to help uh, bring his projects to fruition because we have a great depression coming ahead and it's something that we really have to make sure it doesn't happen. And uh, especially with gentrification moving up so significantly, uh, every single person's involvement is pretty meaningful in this and for all our listeners today I wanted to thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree uh, you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, uh, my website's LeonardKim.com and I hope you all have an amazing week and uh, do you have any final words for the audience uh, DeAndre? Thank you so much for your interest uh, Leonard and extending the opportunity, thank you guys for your interest in, in listening and again, you know, just get out there, be active, um, and, and let your dream soar. Let your fear guide you is what I would say. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, once again, thank you for joining us for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.